Hello and welcome to Bite-Sized History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I'm Nick, your host. Today, I'd like to talk about five great movies for history buffs. These are movies that you can tell the production staff, the, the people that worked on the movie, put a great deal of effort into making them as true to the period as possible. And while they may be popular among the general population, they hold a, a special place in the hearts of history buffs for people that know the story behind these people, places, and events and can really appreciate um, just the time and work that was put into bringing these movies to life. I put a lot of thought into this list and I had to narrow it down to five. And I want you to know that they're not listed in any particular order. The five that I've selected are Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, Zulu, Gettysburg, Dunkirk, and 1917. Now, I am aware that these are all war movies, and there's a lot more to history than just military history. So, I may do another follow-up episode at some time in the future where I talk about just like general period pieces, stuff like that. So, uh, well, I'm kind of excited about this. Let's get started. Let's kick things off with Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. Now, this was a film uh, directed by Peter Weir, and it came out in 2003. And the two main stars that you can see in it are Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany. It takes place during the Napoleonic Wars, where you have this uh, British ship called the Surprise. And through a series of events, the captain of this ship, played by Russell Crowe, named Jack Aubrey, becomes, I guess, a little obsessed with tracking down and sinking an enemy ship that is the French vessel uh, Acheron. Acheron or Acheron, as, as they say uh, in the movie. Why is this movie so special? Master and Commander is really a historical masterpiece for history buffs and Napoleonic war buffs in particular. The score is amazing. The acting is amazing. The effort that went into the actual costumes, uh, both the uniforms of the officers and uh, just the you know enlisted sailors, like the common men that were responsible for the maintenance of the ship, stuff like that. It's one of those movies, and in fact, I have recently watched a YouTube uh, kind of video essay movie analysis that was partially the inspiration for this episode and the reviewer said um, apparently there's something in in film review called every frame is a painting now these are people that when they refer to movies this way these are films that are just so beautiful that at a given scene you can just pause the the movie and you, you take a step back and you're like this shot this frame could be a painting and there's lots of movies you know I, I didn't know there was a specific name for this but this is something I've been looking at for years I'll be watching a movie and I'll just say oh wow like that's a great shot like that could literally be a painting and there are so many shots like that in Master and Commander uh, some of it is like the actual camera work some of it is the colors uh, stuff like that in terms of the the actual sound effects 
Oh, just unreal. Like when you watch the battle sequences in Master and Commander, these ships loading, firing these these big black powder cannons and the explosions and the, the shouts of the crews. Um, it's very much immersive. Like it, it feels like you were there. So it, you know, on the one hand, you can watch the movie silently. You can turn it off and just appreciate the visuals as in what I just mentioned, every frame is a painting. But on the other hand, you know, uh, you might try watching this movie, especially, you know, especially the battle sequences. Maybe you just fast forward to those because it is two hours and 18 minutes long. So, you know, not a short movie. But uh, there is something to be said for just listening to the battle sequences with like a good pair of like high quality noise canceling headphones. And you just absolutely feel like you are there. Uh, in terms of like the actual uh, historical accuracy, it's interesting because Master and Commander is atmospherically extremely historically accurate. The way the crew speaks, the clothes they wear, the tasks they do, everything is like absolutely like it was back then uh, in the Napoleonic Wars. And again, we're, we're talking about like the early 19th century. The interesting thing is I believe it's actually based on a series of novels by Patrick O'Brien. So the actual story of the surprise and the Asheron and the character of Jack Aubrey, like all of that is fictional. So you have this interesting dichotomy, which doesn't often pop up in historical movies, but, but, it, but it does, you know, where it's like, yeah, the time period and the actual foundation, the atmosphere of the movie, everything is tip top shape, historical accuracy, but the plot itself and the characters are fictional. And I think that gives the writers, the directors, the producers a lot of flexibility, um, you know, in actually developing this movie. So definitely, you know, hundred uh, percent, I recommend Master and Commander. It's a it's a movie that'll that'll stick with you, you know. Um, maybe it won't appeal to some people because, again, like uh, the the way the crew and the characters speak. Uh, is a little archaic, you know, maybe watch it uh, with subtitles. I do that with a lot of historical movies because it's a lot easier to absorb what they're saying um, if they're speaking in an unusual way if you have subtitles. I mean, I, I used to watch Game of Thrones with subtitles, uh, if for no other reason to actually pick up on plot points and stuff, but also to see the millions of names that are dropped in that show. But anyway, moving right along, the next uh, movie I wanted to talk about is a movie I've seen a bunch of times starting when I was a kid, and that is Zulu. Now, this is from 1964, and it talks about the Battle of Rourke's Drift between the British Army and the Zulu Warriors in January 1879. This period was called the Anglo-Zulu Wars, uh, part of the conflict in South Africa, you know, 20 years before the Boer Wars, uh, stuff like that, directed by Cy Enfield. The two main characters are um, Michael Caine is definitely in it and uh, Stanley Baker. And they play these kind of two British officers that have two completely different outlooks on leadership and what it means to be uh, a British officer in general. And uh, but you can see throughout the movie, throughout the fighting and stuff, they they actually really find common ground and develop a very strong mutual respect. Briefly, the story behind it is that uh, the Battle of Rourke's Drift took place a little time after the Battle of Isandlwana, which was one of the main uh, engagements of the Anglo-Zulu Wars, where the British just got absolutely pummeled. They got destroyed. 
So the British government decided to, sign, uh, decided to send more people to kind of deal with this situation. Um, Michael Caine's character is named Lieutenant Gonville Bromhead, which is like one of the most British names I've ever heard. Oh, and that's another thing. This is a movie from the golden age of sideburns. Like, just, <laughs> it's definitely like the heroic, you know, sideburn mustachioed, you know, kind of the two main officers don't have mustaches, but... Uh, for some people, it gives them a chance to see kind of the British Empire at the peak of its power in the closing days of red uniforms. Um, you can also see like early cartridge firearms in this movie. Uh, these like huge caliber uh, guns that they use, like the, the rifles that the soldiers use. One of the things I wanted to say that's very special about this movie is its treatment of the Zulu enemy. Um, it was very unusual. I mean... You know, keep in mind, this is way back from 1964, where it was very common uh, in Westerns for natives to be portrayed a certain way, uh, for black people to be portrayed a certain way, uh, stuff like that. A lot of the like ethnic, like non-white roles in a lot of popular Hollywood movies were not even played by people of that race. Like it was just, you know, a white guy with makeup or whatever. But one of the things that's special about Zulu is the respect it has for the Zulu warriors as a worthy adversary. There's one scene where, you know, they're in the barracks, like the, the British soldiers, and they're talking about how, oh, you know, these are just savages with spears. And there's this like veteran that kind of uh, chews them out. And he's like, do you know how they fight? Like the tactics they use? Do you know how many miles they can run in a day? Like not march, run, like they're running. And he just kind of chews out these these rookies because he's like, these people are very capable warriors. And that's very true. You know, in the history of uh, 19th century Africa, like the Zulus were some of the most formidable warriors on the continent. Um, so, so I very, very much like that. And, and the movie is very sensitive uh, to show them as these are, these are warriors that think and they put a lot of... Um, kind of thought into how they approach attacking this fortified British bastion. Because the whole point of the movie is there's like a company of British soldiers, uh, you know, clustered around a few buildings and they create barricades out of um, like sacks of corn and boxes of army biscuits and stuff. And they, uh, they defend it uh, as best they can. And you can see the differences in tactics between the Zulu warriors and uh, the British soldiers. And it's just, just phenomenal. Very much a, a history buffs history movie. Next up, I wanted to talk about what I consider the gold standard, the benchmark of American Civil War movies. Like in my opinion, this is the best American Civil War movie ever made. Um, and it's just still good today. You know, the follow-up film was not very good, but we'll talk about that in a second. And that is Gettysburg from 1993, directed by Ron Maxwell, based on a book by Michael Shara called The Killer Angels. And the book itself is very good. Uh, it's about the Battle of Gettysburg, and it alternates between the points of view of critical people who were there. So Robert E. Lee... Uh, General Longstreet, uh, Joshua Chamberlain, stuff like that. Uh, so in that way, it kind of follows the structure of the book. Uh, stars Tom Berenger, Martin Sheen's in it, Stephen Lang, who you might recognize as the bad guy from Avatar, uh, is in it. And it's just absolutely phenomenal. <clears throat> 
one of the things about Gettysburg is that rather than hire a huge amount of extras, they allowed thousands of Civil War reenactors to actually participate in the movie. And that gives it a great deal of historical accuracy because instead of having one, two, or three historical advisors try to instruct, you know, rookie extras on how to behave like a Civil War soldier on film, thousands of these reenactors showed up. And they showed up with their own guns, their own uniforms, their own flags, their own horses, their own cannons. They already knew how to march in formation, how to handle their weapons, how to execute uh, a lot of the complicated infantry maneuvers, uh, changing formations, marching in formation, uh, volley fire, independent fire, like all of this stuff. Uh, just the um, incredible amount of expertise that these uh, volunteer reenactors uh, brought with them. I, I think they were all either unpaid or maybe there was a very, very small number of them that were actually paid. Now, the score is great. There's a 10-minute sequence that details Pickett's Charge, which is kind of the climax uh, of the movie. And if you don't know what Pickett's Charge is, it's on the third day of Gettysburg. Uh, it was a huge Confederate infantry advance against entrenched Union positions. And it was a complete disaster. And there are a lot of historians that describe that as the high watermark of the Confederacy. Uh, the third day of Gettysburg was the closest they ever came because the cost to the Army of Northern Virginia and to the Confederacy in general from the Battle of Gettysburg was just so great that after that, they were no longer able to engage in any major offensive actions. Uh, so, you know, this was uh, July of 18. 63. So until the end of the war in 1865, there were limited offensive, but they were mostly on the strategic defensive. The acting is uh, just incredible, uh, especially Martin Sheen as Robert E. Lee. He really captures that kind of reserved, aristocratic, uh, gentlemanly, you know, Southern Cavalier thing, like just the way he speaks uh, and the way he carries himself, even the way he rides his horse and sits in the saddle, uh, very much, you know, it, you can very much see, oh yeah, like that's really how Robert E. Lee was back then. Jeff Daniels is just spectacular as uh, <laughs> Joshua Chamberlain, you know? A lot of the generals in the Civil War were these were these uh, seasoned West Point guys, but when, uh, when they had a fire under their butts or when it hit the fan, they, uh, you know, crumbled. They weren't effective in, in real combat. But the Civil War is also a story of, uh, you know, legions of ordinary people just for whatever reason being incredible as soldiers. And Joshua Chamberlain, you know, a college professor from Maine is a perfect example of this. Um, so definitely Gettysburg is very long. So if you watch it, maybe take a break, go to the bathroom, make some more popcorn. Uh, but definitely the gold, gold standard of Civil War movies. Like my second place spot, uh, you know, of the best Civil War movies. It, in my opinion, you know, like historically speaking, it was going to be a close tie between Glory or Lincoln, but I give the slight edge to Lincoln. Um, but, you know, if you ever watch a single movie on the American Civil War, uh, make it Gettysburg. The sequel, Gods and Generals, eh, not so much, but I'm not going to get into that right now. Continuing right along uh, with our final two choices in our group of five of uh, 
five great movies for history buffs is Dunkirk. So Dunkirk is a movie from 2017, uh, written, directed, and produced by Christopher Nolan, who you might recognize as the director behind, um, for example, like the Dark Knight trilogy, like Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, it was nominated for eight Oscars at the 2018 Oscars. And it details the story of, uh, here, let me set the stage for you. World War II started in 1939 uh, with the Axis invasion of Poland. Um, now, when Poland fell, there was uh, a winter with not a lot of fighting. And, and so a lot of observers around the world thought, uh, you know, hey, what's going on? They called it the phony war. But starting in the spring of 1940, the Germans overran uh, Denmark, uh, Norway, the uh, Netherlands, Belgium. They plowed into France and France hit a point where they knew the army was going to collapse. They were going to lose the country. So at this point, their British allies who had been helping them fighting in France, uh, it's often called the Battle of France. Now, what we're talking about here is the, the spring and summer of 1940. The British army made their way to a French port called Dunkirk, where they were certain that they were going to be surrounded and destroyed. Now, from a British point of view, this was an absolute disaster because they had a very small army. It was a well-trained uh, volunteer army, but uh, they thought they were going to lose their entire army. So the story of Dunkirk is all of these soldiers waiting in this port city, waiting on the beach to be evacuated. Now. They expected to only get a few thousand, but in the end, they saved most of the British army and it was a miracle. And uh, people at the time and even historians today, they call it the miracle at Dunkirk. And it details um, one of the special things about Dunkirk is there's actually like three storylines that you have. There's a storyline of a civilian English ship captain, uh, an English soldier trying to escape the continent and the story of a uh, English fighter pilot. And kind of, the you see kind of the uh, interweaving, the intersection of these three storylines as you watch the movie. And it's just phenomenal. Um, the camera work is <clears throat> absolutely great. And one of the things about Dunkirk I noticed when I watched it was the quality of the sound design. So, just the sound effects, but also the score. The score is incredible at building tension. You know, when I watched this movie, I literally was on the edge of the couch the entire time with my back straight. And that doesn't often happen. Um, and I remember when the credits roll, um, I'm not I'm not messing around here. This is a true story. When the credits came up, I remember just exhaling like, oh, because it's just so tense of a movie. Uh, and it's not even tense of like, you know, constant combat action or these these really gritty action sequences like saving private ryan or we were soldiers or something like that it's uh it's just so well shot because the entire time there's this overhanging threat of annihilation from german forces uh, not just for the english soldier escaping dunkirk you know uh, german infantry and armored divisions surrounding that pocket and and just uh shelling them and ev eventually you know, pummeling them into, into oblivion. But there's also the people that are crossing the channel. There's a danger from German aircraft, uh, German submarines, stuff like that. So, you know, even the story of the fighter pilot, like he has to fight German planes and stuff like stuff like that. So very, very good at building tension. Uh, like I said, the camera work is just great. 
Uh, the color palette is also... The, yeah, there's like a lot of grays and stuff, but I, but I feel like that... That kind of makes it a little more uh, relatable, a little more realistic uh, versus other historical movies that um, maybe put on a certain lens. Uh, I, I feel like I'm talking a lot here, but to, but to kind of put it in perspective, compare the color palette for Dunkirk to the color palette for Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor, where it's like every shot is either in the golden light of the morning or the golden light of the evening. And everybody just looks super attractive and young and like a little sweaty. And it has a very warm, rich color palette, uh, which makes them seem even more heroic. Uh, now Dunkirk doesn't have anything like that. So what I can say is I'm sure you've noticed just how many World War II movies there are. And they're not all good. But I can truly say Dunkirk is one of the best World War II movies I have ever seen. Um, so I, I very, very much recommend it. Our final choice is from The Great War. It's called 1917, and it's directed by Sam Mendes. Um, now, 19, Sam Mendes, uh, he has a long track record of like very successful movies. Like He directed Road to Perdition, which is also great. Directed Skyfall, uh, which is my favorite of the Daniel Craig, James Bond movies. Um, you know, he, just... The amount of stuff, like, I think one of his first kind of movies, uh, he's British, uh, that came out in the States that really put him on the map was American Beauty, which to this day, I still say is a great movie. Some people have looked back and, and they say, oh, well, I don't need some movie to tell me how to live, <laughs> you know, like, because it does have a lot of commentary, but I still think American Beauty is just a superb film. But anyway, we're not talking about American Beauty. We're talking about 1917. Now, this came out in 2019, and I remember there was a lot of buzz about it because they talked about how the entire movie was supposed to be uh, kind of filmed in one shot with the camera just kind of following the main characters around. Uh, like, they did, they did have cuts in the movie, but they were very, very cleverly concealed. Uh, and I, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but like the sound effects, the score were incredible. The interplay of light and dark, particularly that sequence where the main character is running through a ruined village at night and you see the flares and the artillery shells illuminating these ghostly, almost like skeletal buildings. Um, you know, that was just superb. There's something about 1917 that it makes you feel like you're right there with them for the entirety of the film. And like one thing I definitely wanted to say in this part of the show is that there's there's such a shortage, there's such a lack of World War One films in general, but on top of it, like good World War One films, um, because especially for Americans, I think it's, you know, the slam dunk war that really occupies a much greater part of their popular mythology, their national story is World War II. But World War I was just as important in the course of world events, uh, you know, as the, as the Second World War. And it's very, very interesting of a conflict. In fact, I did, uh, I believe, five episodes as part of this show uh, about the First World War as part of an ongoing series. And I may actually re revisit that theme uh, in the future. The basic storyline, uh, according to IMDb, <laughs> April 6th, 
1917. Now, this date is significant because it's right before the Americans entered the war. But anyway, quote, as a regiment assembles to wage war deep in enemy territory, two soldiers are assigned to race against time and deliver a message that will stop 1,600 men from walking straight into a deadly trap, end quote. And that's pretty much uh, the nuts and bolts of the story. You know, Sam Mendes, I believe, had a grandfather or a great-grandfather that was uh, in the First World War. And I remember seeing an interview or a movie review about this movie somewhere where he said that that idea had always stuck with him, the idea of there being a message that had to be delivered. And that is really the essence, like the heart and soul uh, of this film. One of the interesting things, too, is that uh, the main characters are just great. Uh, the acting is great. But you'll see, like... You'll see cameos of people you know. Uh, so for that reason too, like uh, I encourage you to watch it. It has a very detailed look at the dangers, like just the oh, the variety, the plethora of dangers that abounded in a First World War battlefield, um, because these these guys that have to go deliver this message, they're pretty much on their own, and just by a combination of luck and wits and intuition uh, you see them navigate just the innumerable dangers of this first world war battlefield so definitely you know 1917 is uh when that movie ended i was like wow that's one of the greatest war movies i've ever seen and in fact i think if you look at imdb uh or rotten tomatoes i think of the five movies i talked about uh over the course of this episode i think 1917 out of the five is actually the most highly rated uh, on those two websites. I mean, don't quote me on that, uh, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. So yeah, to recap, uh, we talked about Master and Commander, Zulu, Gettysburg, Dunkirk, and 1917. Five military history movies, or just generally, you know, sometimes people just refer to historical movies uh, as just period films or period pieces. Uh, like 1917, for example, could, depending on how you interpret it, it could also be a drama or a thriller, uh, stuff like that. So those are the five that I wanted to talk about today. All right. Well, that's all the, uh, that's all the stuff I wanted to talk about today, you know, just to reiterate the point of this episode was not to be like five great history movies that I love or, or five, you know, history movies. These were five great history movies for history buffs, like really uh, accurate, detailed, uh, thorough uh, historical movies. You know, th they're also very, very good, you know, even just from like a, a filmmaking standpoint or a dramatic standpoint or a writing or, or acting standpoint. But uh the list, I think it's a pretty good list. You know, Master and Commander, Zulu, Gettysburg, Dunkirk, 1917. Uh, I tried to capture kind of a multitude of different historical periods. Uh, uh, definitely, uh, there's a multitude of directors uh, in this list. You know, like you, you have Sam Mendes in there and Christopher Nolan, uh, stuff like that. So I very much hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as uh, I enjoyed talking about it. So... This has been Bite-Sized History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I was Nick, your host. Listener mail can be sent to bitesizedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. 
And once again, thank you so, so much for listening. Goodbye.